Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Well, good morning. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com. And across the state of Alaska, this is your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Boy, today's the day to do movie trailer voices in a world where... Mm, uh, hello and good morning. Welcome to it. It is the Michael Duke Show. Uh, you're a home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. And it is hump day, middle of the week. Oh, man. Well, actually, it's closer to the end of the week because first things first... Uh, I'm not going to be here on Friday. I'm off on Friday and Monday, and uh, we're ready to uh, whew, we're ready to rock and roll. I'm already I'm already feeling. I got short timers already. Tomorrow's going to be Firearms Thursday. I don't know what we're going to talk about besides firearms and stuff, but we'll do something. It's going to be a good 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 time. Um, today is uh, I, I've already got one phone line on hold. I mean, they were on hold when I got started this morning, so they've been on hold for seven, eight, nine minutes already. Uh, and uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines for hour one this morning, and we're going to uh, take some phone calls and let you steer the conversation. Um, uh, in the uh, we're going to let you steer the conversation in hour one. In hour two. We're going to be joined by State Senator Mike Schauer, who's going to come on board. And we're going to get his reaction to the end of the session and the one-day special session and what is it going to look like. Um, we'll see what's going on. Yeah, I mean, the caller on hold could be talking about my extended warranty. I will we'll have to see. I didn't sign anything. Just want you to let you know that. <clears throat> they may want to talk about my extended car warranty, but I promised not to sign a thing. All right. Um, so I do have some headlines and other things. But since this caller uh, was dedicated enough to call in before the show actually started, I thought we'd just break with convention and just start the ball rolling. All right. Uh, 12 minutes is long enough to be on hold. So let's go over here and see what uh, you guys have to say today. What I mean, what are your what what are your thoughts today? Got hair everywhere. All right, let's uh, let's go over to the phones and see what happens. Uh, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? And why are good you calling morning. me so early? I am. This is Barbara Tyndall. I'm calling from North Pole, Alaska. Hello, Barbara. What's on your What's on your mind uh, so early in this uh, wee morning well, hours? I'm here to make an announcement, if that's okay with you. Well, I'm, uh, sure. I don't have I have a lot on my mind, but I'm not going to talk about it this morning. I just want everyone to know that uh, Kelly Shabaka is and her Preserved Democracy um, organization will be up here uh, is in Alaska is in Fairbanks, sorry, this week, and uh, tonight she will be speaking at the Mayan Palace at 5:30 with the Republican women. 
Thursday, tomorrow night, she's going to be at Jean's Chrysler at 7 p.m., and that's a fundraiser for Preserve Democracy. Uh, there's going to be finger foods, and there's going to be a silent auction. And Friday, she's going to be at the Republican luncheon. She's be speaking at, there at the West Mark at noon. So that was, uh, that was on my heart today, and I just asked people to come out and hear what Kelly has to say. She is uh, fighting a ranked choice voting at the national level. And is there a website, Barbara, that we can go to to get all the details of where and when again in case I people didn't write it yeah. down? Uh, we don't have one here right now, but uh, Preserve Democracy, she'll have it on her Preserve Democracy. I think it's preservedemocracy.com. It should get you there. Okay. And anything else that was on your mind since you waited on hold so long? I want to give you the floor if there's anything else you want to say or talk about this morning. <laughs> That's all right. I was up. I just wanted to get in the queue. So oh, you just... thank you. Thank you for letting I me mean, call in, and I appreciate it. All right. Well, no problem. She wanted to jump the queue. That's what she said. She wanted to get in there first. She wanted to be one of those That's people. Right. All right, Barbara. That's right. I've got places to go, things <laughs> to do. Exactly. <laughs> people to do, things to see. I mean, uh, all right. Thanks, Barbara. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Well, that cl- that clears out the phone lines today. Look at that. Um, I mean, we started off with a bang. Kelly Shibaka, who came on the program um, right after announcing that she was putting this together, the Preserve Democracy uh, organization. So we'll see. Um, we'll see what she has to say about that. In fact, I had a call into her uh, to check in here a couple weeks ago. So we'll see if we can get her back on the program to talk about what's going on. Also got a, uh, a message from uh, um, Elijah Verhagen, who is going to, uh, they're kicking off their initiative to um, put term limits up. Uh, they've got a statewide initiative to instigate term limits for the legislature, which, <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um so we'll have him on next week to discuss that. That's coming up. Lots of things happening here uh, in the interim. And, of course, we still are expecting a special session to come on board uh, probably in uh, September, October. Uh, and that special session is going to deal specifically with a uh, fiscal plan. Now, I don't know if it's – I have <clears> – <throat> I have super low expectations. Let me just put it that way. I have super low expectations on what's going to uh, be coming out of this legislature now in a special session or in the upcoming half of the second half of the session as well. It's going to be uh, it's going it's to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting 12 months right now, folks, from today. 12 months from today is going to be. Probably one of the most interesting times that I've seen in a while because it just keeps raising the bar every every time, every year. It just keeps raising the bar on uh, <clears throat> the weirdness, the strangeness, the frustration level and uh, everything else. So it'll be uh, it'll be good. Um, all right. Um, we've got um, we're going to continue on here, a uh, discussion of a couple of headlines, and uh, we're going to uh, then again, well, the phone line, I guess, let me just open up the phone lines because I already did it, so why not just keep doing it, right? I mean, we're, we're I'm, I'm in charge here, so I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Um, there you go. Uh, phone number is open, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150.
And, of course, the program today brought to you by your friends at Satellite West from Wasilla to Willow, from Menchumana to Metlakatla, from Tin City to Talkeetna, to Tanana, to Tetlanika, to Tanzanika, to, well, I mean, yes, even Tanzanika in Africa. I mean, wherever you are, in the state of Alaska or anywhere else, Satellite West has got you covered. SatelliteWest.com. Uh, they've got uh, <clears throat> the tools and technology to keep you in contact, whether it's phone calls or emails or surfing the Internet or text messages. They've got it all. Go check it out. SatelliteWest.com. Special thank you to them for sponsoring the program. I hope you guys are I hope you guys are treating my sponsors well. That's all I'm saying right now. I hope you're doing it good. Okay. Um well, uh one of the other disappointments, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about this with uh with a shower in hour two, is that uh the legislature failed to pass any kind of election reform. Um, they say it's a top priority, but talk is sheep. Cheap. I mean, not sheep. Talk is sheep. Uh, anyway, talk is cheap. Um, there's been a lot of compromise, a lot of consensus. The bill was carried into Senate State Affairs Committee um, with uh, Scott Kawasaki working closely with Senator Shower on this. Um, it was a good effort, uh, but in the end... It uh, it really didn't go anywhere. Between the two senators, they felt like they got a really good compromise on what would help renew Alaskans' voter confidence. Uh, Kawasaki said a bipartisan group of legislators came up with a list of about 20 reforms that they could all agree on. And those included things like adding a system to verify the voter's signatures, letting voters fix errors or cure errors on mail-in ballots, allowing voters to register and vote on Election Day, tightening residency requirements to clean up the voter rolls, and more. Uh, another, <clears throat> the whole thing was, I, I think, much needed and overdue. Um, and a shower is quoted in the Alaska Beacon as saying he's frustrated that the election reform didn't get through this year. He said he's been working on it since 2018. But we'll see. Uh, we'll see how uh, we'll see how it goes. I'm still waiting for the uh, I'm still I'm still waiting for the report that was commissioned and instigated by Kelly Chewbacca. Uh, or me not commit uh, not commissioned by Kelly Chewbacca, but executed and created by Kelly Chewbacca that uh, Mike Shower has been asking for for I think we're coming up on the two year mark. It's at least eighteen months that they've been trying to get this report, and uh, it's still still sitting somewhere in somebody's desk drawer, redacted all to hell. They used up an entire black Sharpie to uh, to mark it all out before they decided to send it to anybody. I would really, really like to see the end result of that report. And we'll see if we can <clears throat> get Mike to keep pushing on that and find out more as well. Um, I don't know if this is, uh, I mean, from my perspective, this is not good news, but news, just interesting news. Uh, from some parents' perspective, it's probably bad news, but I see it as an overall trend in what's happening uh, across the country right now, especially in light of the COVID pandemic 
and what the aftermath of that has wrought. The Anchorage School District is now seeing high numbers of educators resigning and retiring. Now, that's a trend that's picked up after COVID, but was already pretty significant to begin with. Um, we saw a, uh, uh, we've seen a continuous outflow of educators. Uh, there's a, you know, it's basically a migration rate of people moving in and people moving out. And that has steadily been climbing. Uh, the number of turnover move-ins and move-outs over the 2021 to 2022 season uh, school year was about 14% of educators in urban districts, meaning 14% move out, 14% move in. And that's higher than it has historically been. Education uh, leaders say, of course, the exits are likely due to a mix, uh, mix of factors. And, of course, top of their list is the fact that the state has flat-funded education, when in fact, over the last, whatever it is, 17 years, 35% increase in education. I mean, other than that, you know, don't pay no attention to what's going on. Uh, lack of competitive retirement benefits and more. Uh, so this is another way to basically blow the horn on, how dare you not pay us enough as teachers because we just... But the... Big thing to note in this article is that it is now, this is not strictly an Alaskan issue. This is an issue that is affecting states across the nation. In a nationally represented, uh, representative survey, the RAND Corporation estimated that teacher turnover in the, again, in the 2021 to 2022 school year was about 14% of educators in urban districts, putting Anchorage schools on par with districts nationwide. So see, <clears throat> as much as they want to paint this as a picture of, well, Alaskan educators are just leaving to go to other states because it's far more lucrative to live in other... No, that 14% puts Anchorage schools on par with districts nationwide. So see, this is a trend that's not... Unique to Alaska. Doesn't have to do with the fact that we don't give the proper retirements. Doesn't have to do with the fact, I mean, there may be, that may factor in there somewhere, but the fact that we are now on par with districts nationwide shows us that it's just an overall trend. And the fact that many parents are disenfranchised and disillusioned by what happened in the school districts during the COVID pandemic, and there's been an, a, a growth, an explosive amount of growth in homeschooling. Uh, Montessori, uh, private charter, uh, pandemic, or not, excuse me, uh, learning pods and teacher share programs and things like that. That, <clears throat> that I think, is cutting deeper into this whole thing. And that in the fact, by the way, that many teachers are probably feeling like everybody else. If you've talked to an employer in the last two years, you've heard one single thing. I just can't get people to come in and want to work. Because I think that there was a fundamental shift. The fear of the COVID pandemic, I think, fundamentally changed the mindset of many people that they got into that whole, they were faced with their own mortality. And maybe we should talk about that for a minute. Maybe we should consider that and discuss what, what my thoughts are on that. And you can tell me how wrong I am. That's, that's what this show is about. I throw something out there and you bat it back in my face and tell me what an idiot I am. See? Feel free to do 
Did I just invite people on to call me an idiot? Maybe. All right. Let's uh, let's continue. The Michael Luke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. We're gonna be back with more right after this. Don't go anywhere. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. So uh, somebody needs to remind me not to. I trimmed the edge of my beard this morning, not realizing I was wearing a black shirt. So I have got all these little. You know, it was like, oh, there's a little clip here, a little clip there. And then next thing I know, it's I didn't realize it was all over my shirt. So sorry about that. I feel I feel dirty. Feel dirty. Um all right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh hey dad. I saw my dad this morning. Uh he's here in the chat room. I love you, Dad. Um let me go back up here to see if there's anything else that I missed. Gonna have to put the seedlings back under the lights. Yeah, it, um, boy, it was really, <laughs> this weather is freaking killing me. Absolutely killing me. I just want it to be a little sunny and a little warm. Doesn't have to be 80, it was 80 degrees in Fairbanks. Was it last Friday, last Thursday, last Friday? Doesn't have to be 80 degrees. I'm okay with that. But dang, um, Brian says booming radio voice today. Yes. I don't know why. Just I'm a little low today. Um, okay. Mikhail saw, uh, Daryl Worley in concert last night. Good for you, my friend. Um, <laughs> Brian. You're in deep trouble, my friend. Brian says, my head is empty. I'm counting on you to fill it with correct thoughts. I'm having a hard time stringing two sentences together this morning. So, boy, between the two of us, we'd be, well, I'm a half-wit, you're a half-wit. We'd have one wit, right? Uh, Bill is hanging out on YouTube today. Yeah. he's try- I think he's trying to avoid the cheap, sheet- the cheap seat shots. Cheap sheet shots. Sheet shots. The sheet shots. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. Bill says he hears the Matsu is going to lose 150 teachers from what they call school. I mean, look, this is a problem. This is this whole thing, this whole article in the mean, and I'll post the article up in the chat room if you want to go read it. I recommend everybody when I talk about an article, it's not that I agree with it, but I always like reading a little bit about everything just to get the perspective. But this article has the tone. The whole tone of the article is, we just are not giving enough to schools. We're just, they're just exhausted. Exhaustion and pressure on teachers and they're just leaving in droves, taking their retirements with them. Hey, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted and there's a lot of pressure on me at all times. 
but I can't just pull up stakes and leave and take my retirement with me or do anything else. So, okay. I mean, you know, the whole article is, uh, the whole article is essentially a beg for more money. Yeah. Um, let's see. Jim is, oh, Jim, what are you doing? You're, I, are you, is this the per, is this the per capita spending? Jim is quoting like Wyoming and was it Montana and is that the per capita spending? Wyoming, Michigan, then, I mean, I'm not surprised if that is the case, uh, if that's what you're putting out there. Um, okay. Could be that they're actually teachers that want to do their jobs rather than be a woke virtue signaling activist. Can't imagine being a teacher and having to try to teach math or history while indulging some idiot that insists the world act like they are a cat or a unicorn. I mean, it could be some of that as well. Um, uh, Bull, oh, Bill has a perma ban from Facebook. Apparently, Bill said something inappropriate. Shocker. I mean, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, for Donna says public schools are forcing their own extinction. Donna, call in and let's discuss that. I would like to have a conversation about that thought. All right. Uh, here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's get, you're right, Jeffrey. I'm going to talk about that. Here we go. Okay. Well, interesting. Interesting. Um, First and foremost, the phone lines are open this morning. We're expecting to speak with uh, State Senator Mike Schauer in hour two today, coming up at 7.05. Meanwhile, we're taking your phone calls, 907-433-3150, 907-433-3150, Satellite West, is the sponsor of the program right now. Um, and we're going to uh, we're going to keep these phone lines open so you can say or talk about whatever, you know, well, you can't say anything you want. I mean, you got to keep it PG rated, but you can talk about any subject that you want to talk about today. I'm totally okay with that. Totally okay with that. Um yeah, not a bad idea, Donna. Thank you. Uh, Donna Arduin's in the chat room. We were just talking about this uh, article in the ADN. And uh, Jeffrey makes a comment that this is, uh, you know, we've got the mainstream media. Because here's here's my, my commentary on this article. And for those of you just joining us, it's an article talking about how the Anchorage school districts are seeing high numbers of teachers retiring and resigning. But buried in this article... I mean, this is the difference. This is this is this is the fundamental difference between what is in the body of an article and what the headline reads, right? Um, 
in the body of the article, it talks about how the estimated turnover um, in the Anchorage schools for the 2021-2022 school, which is the last year available, was about 14%. And that, in the end of it, says putting, putting Anchorage on par with districts nationwide. So this is not strictly an Alaska problem, but the entire article is like a beg letter for more education funding. It goes on to talk about how they're just facing tremendous pressure and they aren't competitive and the retirements aren't good enough and the pay's not good enough and there's a lot of vacancies and they're all overworked and how they're underpaid and then nobody's there's a whole section here about we haven't been we haven't been increasing the school pay. We haven't been doing I mean this whole thing is essentially an ask letter to force your legislators to give teachers more pay. And it's not just the teachers. See, if it was just the teachers, I would probably be about it. If that money was actually reaching down into the classroom, I probably would not have a beef with it. But the problem is, is that it's paying for the overhead. It is it, it, a huge amount of that money is being sucked up by the brick and mortar schools, by, uh, you know, by the administrative overhead. Uh, I mean, Sarah Montalbano with the Alaska Policy Forum has come on and talked to us about school districts where, I mean, it's a one-to-one. you got one administrator for every teacher. And in some places, it's two or three administrators for every teacher. That's the problem. But uh, Jeffrey's right. This is the mainstream media, in this case, the paper of record, the Anchorage Daily News, which is essentially the paper of record, uh, gaslighting us. That's what they're doing. They're gaslighting the hell out of you. You know, purporting it to be a, a, a thing of news and whether it is the author's, um, whether, whether it's the author's political druthers or she was encouraged by the editorial board to make this a part of every story. But this whole story is basically a, uh, you know, a woe is me tale of I can't believe that we're now on par with districts nationwide. This is not an Alaska problem. An Alaska-only problem, right? I mean, again, you are on par with districts nationwide. Here's my thought on this. The teachers are really the ones that are getting the sticky end of the lollipop on this deal. Because, again, the whole thing is being overloaded by administrative and overhead and bloat and all this other kind of stuff. Um, So, I mean, if there's anybody I feel bad in this situation, it is for the teachers. uh, Because it makes it harder for them to be able to do their job. But uh, that points all the fingers back to the administrations, to the superintendents, to the school districts themselves. And um, I'm a little I'm a little tired of getting preached at about how we just are so we just hate children. We just hate children, Uh, which I don't. But uh, I'm I'm just glad that I've homeschooled my kids. That's all I can say right now. But this was uh, this uh, right before we went to break. This uh, made me kind of go off on a side tangent a little bit, and I, I want to talk about this for a moment. Um, and that is kind of the the attitude of uh, the labor force since the COVID pandemic. Uh, now, by the way, I can switch off this topic at any time if you would like to help uh, drive the conversation this morning. The phone lines are open at 907-433-3150, and I'm willing to talk about just about anything. 
Um, but here are my thoughts because I, uh, as a as somebody who works in radio, works in advertising, I work with a lot of different businesses and uh, business owners, and you know, it's not unusual, and it hasn't been unusual over my twenty five or thirty year career of working in advertising to hear an employee an employer say. Boy, if I could just get one more good employee, um, you know that used to be the mantra. If I could get an if I could get an employee like employee X, if I could get two more of those, I would be perfect, right? I mean, because somebody who's dedicated and do that, I always heard that from uh, employers. I heard that a lot. That they were always looking for one more good. They had employees, but they wanted that you know kind of that rare caliber of. Hard worker, go the extra mile, dedicated, you know, didn't have to be supervised 24 hours a day, that kind of thing. But ever since the pandemic, that whole tune has changed. It's not that they're looking for that unicorn employee that's, you know, practically perfect in every way. Since the pandemic, they're just looking for somebody who will show up and hold a mop. They're just looking for somebody who will actually show up on the days that they're scheduled to show up, will show up on time, and won't quit before the workday's over. And I think part of that has to do with the overall handling of the um, with the overall handling of the of the pandemic itself. That there was a tremendous amount of fear being peddled during that time frame that, um, my God, my God, we're all going to die, right? That was kind of a, you know, COVID will kill you deader than de- deader than dead. Uh, I mean, we're, it's all gonna, it's, it's, it's essentially like it was almost a death sentence. I'm being a little hyperbolic here, but that was kind of the implication of everywhere you turned. It was, Scary, scary. Don't go to work. Don't shake hands. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't uh, do any of those things. You know, uh, take an experimental uh, vaccine. Do, you know, do the you know, wear a mask. And I mean, all the things that got everybody all upset all across the thing. But the underlying tone of this whole thing was fear. That was the underlying subtext of the entire discussion for at least the first probably eight, nine, 10 months a year. And of course you had places shut down everywhere. And here we are a full, um, well, we're, we're, we're three years now past the beginning of the pandemic, right? 2020, three years, uh, into the, you know, past this whole thing. And our labor issues are just as, you know, just as hard, if not worse, uh, than they were shortly after the pandemic. I mean, I literally, anecdotally, this is anecdotally, I don't have the statistics, although I know we did talk about the statistics here a couple months ago where their labor force was still severely depressed in Alaska and the rest of the nation. But anecdotally, talking to business owners, they just cannot find, and I can tell you right now, I hired some people to work for me at the radio station. Um, and I hired three, hoping that one would be get up to speed and everything else. And um, I had two of them disappear within 30 days. I mean, just like not not a phone call, not nothing else. They just pff, vaporware. And I'm not talking about 18-year-old kids. 
I'm talking about mid twenties and almost and fifty year olds. I mean, I that it's it's astonishing what's going on, and I think that there's been a I think that there's been a fundamental shift in how a lot of people um, and how a lot of people think. I I think it made people face their mortality. And maybe not that's not what they chose, but because of the amount of fear and and anxiety and everything else created by the pandemic, I think that um, they faced their own mortality, and many of them decided that maybe they didn't need to work the forty or fifty or sixty hours a week to get ahead to keep up with the Joneses. Maybe they were okay with living on a lot less or Maybe co-living with somebody or, I mean, I don't know. I think their fundamental, I think their fundamental goals just shifted from they're happy to eke out an existence as long as they can enjoy what they have, making memories instead of getting ahead or buying a house or doing whatever. They may just be happy to exist rather than to thrive. And that, I mean, that I don't know how they do it. I got a couple lines on hold here. I'm going to get to you in a second. I don't know how they do it because, um, I mean, I've worked, uh, I've worked every day since the pandemic began. I've not, I mean, I've taken vacation, but I have not been laid off or furloughed. We haven't been shut down. I've been here. I don't know because, and I because I had to, because uh, you know I can't afford to just take. I got a bunch of people dependent on me. I don't know how these people do it. People who used to work in those areas and now they just, I don't know how they do it. How do you survive um, if you're not out there working? But it seems to be a large part of the workforce just dropped into oblivion. So, yeah, maybe being a corporate slave isn't high on their list. Yeah. I mean, that maybe that's it. Maybe that's what people feel like. I mean, maybe that's what it all works out to be. All right, I got some lines on hold. Uh, but I am up against the break. So callers, you've only been there a minute or so. I'm just going to be right back to you. But I got to take a break, and then we will take your phone calls in the order received. That's how we work around here. The Michael Duke Show continues. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Mike Shower in hour two. Don't miss that. Back with more right after this and your phone calls. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, in the break right now, we got three lines on hold. Let me go over there and get them, uh, get their names and where they're calling from so we can get them in order uh, real quick here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hey, this is Ken from Wasilla. Okay, Ken, you hold on line. You are uh, up number one in the queue. Uh, let's go over to this line right here and say, good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? Hello? One... Hello? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? I can hear you. What's your name? Where are you calling from? This is Charlie, Mike. I'm calling from Homer. Oh, hey, Charlie. Hold the line. Uh, you are number two in the queue. All right. So you got one ahead of you, and then I'll be right to you. Don't go anywhere. Number three. Uh, number three in the tree. Over here. Good morning. Who's this? Where are you calling from? 
Kelly Nash, Fairbanks. Well, hello, Kelly Nash. You hold the line, my dear. I will be right back to you. You will be third in uh, row here, right after Ken and right after Charlie. Okay, I got three lines on hold. <clears throat> Let me go back over here to the phone, uh, to the phone, to the mm, the chat room. There we go. All right. Uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, no, I agree, Harold. I think maybe being a corporate slave isn't high on their list. I think a lot of people, that's uh, how they felt. Brian says, you were an essential worker. Well, yeah, but even if I wasn't, I would have been doing some kind of work. I couldn't afford to not be. I couldn't afford to be off work. Um, Where's Mr. Accent from Danette? I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yes, while adults are freaking out, kids were out there working through the entire thing, and adults are still freaking out working from home, and teens can't find a job. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. Um. Sounds like terrible bookkeeping on the school district's part. Oh, and the government. Yeah. Fear prawn, which those of us who are in the know know what he's talking about. Um, unfortunately, says Denise, the one good employee is often abused with a workload of others that do not pull their weight. I'm 60 and I have only one employer compensate my ex. I've had only one employer compensate my extra hard work. I've been lucky enough to basically work in an industry where I can set my own pay scale based on the amount of work that I do. And so I've done well for myself. Um, I hate being dependent on other people. I really do. Because people are disappointing a lot of times. It's just how it is. It's human. It's almost human nature. Um, yeah, Denise said the same thing. In the end, I chose to be my own boss. Yep. No will to thrive. Work ethic went down the drain. I mean, there's always been a complaint of the older generation to the younger generation that you tiny whippersnappers don't have no work ethic. But I think overall this, I don't think you're wrong. I think there, again, I think there was a fundamental shift in mindset, uh, you know, no longer keeping up with the Joneses or working as a corporate worker bee uh, or doing anything else. They decided, oh, it's better to, you know, it's better to uh, have experiences and make memories than it is to have the latest hoo-ha or the biggest house or whatever, you know. Um, let's see. The Matsu Health, the Mount School School District Union members are getting ready to vote on whether to strike. I listened to board member Jacob Butcher's update. Um, I don't know if he can talk on the radio, but the media isn't reporting on the school board's effort to switch out the members to a more affordable health care plan. I saw that was one of the sticking points. Why they voted uh, to go ahead and strike was because they didn't want to go to Blue Cross Blue Shield. They wanted to stay on the same health care plan that is currently in the state, except for it's costing a tremendous amount of money. There's nothing wrong with Blue Cross Blue Shield. I That's the insurance that I have, and it's not gold-plated, but it's close. Um, so I don't, I don't understand the problem. I really don't. I don't understand the problem. Um, Jeffrey says, I agree. It's no longer an employer's market. A good employee with skills can find a job anywhere. I was telling that to one of my kids who was trying to, they were like, I just, the, the job they were at was just kind of horrific. And I said, you can go find a job anywhere. And guess what? He did. He went out and found a better job, higher pay lesser, you know, more stable hours and uh, doing something, doing something he loves. Uh, 
Um, your priorities are different than mine and theirs. Anyone who says their priorities didn't shift during COVID is lying, says Daniel. I agree with that. I think there, I think there was a fundamental shift in everybody's priorities a bit. Um, not as radical as what I just described for me or for many people, but it definitely, I think there was a definite shift overall too. Um, okay. I guess we're coming up on it. Well, it's got phone calls. We're going to talk to Ken and, uh, Ken and Charlie and Kelly. Let's get back to it. The Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based free thinking radio, like and share, like and follow, do all that summary jazz. It's not just summary. You can do it anytime. But please, let's do it. Here we go. Right now. Public enema number one. Oh, wait, sorry. Uh, enemy. Public enemy number one, which makes more sense. On the other hand, he's a little bit of a pain in the uh, Michael Duke show. Wait, a pain in the what? I want you to finish that, man. Uh, all right, let's uh, continue on. We got some phone lines on hold, and uh, they were kind enough to hold on through the break. So let's go over here, and we'll start off with Ken in Wasilla to get his thoughts on what we're talking about today. Good morning, Ken. What's on your mind? Hey, guy, that's a great topic, and, and it speaks to a lot, actually. And I don't think it's a simple topic about getting motivated uh workers that are willing to do things that maybe they don't want that isn't aren't self-fulfilling but uh, my brother is a contractor and i know other people are contractors in hvac business and things like that and you can't get uh people that are willing to do the drudgery of doing things like electrical work and right. putting in heating and air conditioning systems anymore <laughs> it's it's a little scary actually well i mean aren't those and, um, aren't those pretty I think, I those think are what some of your call your commenters were saying is partly true uh well you get an echo in here it's hard to talk <laughs> but you know what 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 I, what I was gonna say is that you know you us boomers you look at the generational difference of people that were brought up in very hard times of need you're a lot more willing and programmed to do things that aren't pleasant than people that were brought up in easy times. I just wanted to say that. It just well, makes a big huge oh, difference on how people's brains work. No, I agree with that. I think that there is a fundamental change in you know differences as you get into more of a leisure culture that they're not as willing to do kind of whatever it takes to get the job done. There's also a bit of how you were raised and things like that in there. But, I mean, it surprises me when you say people don't want to become, don't want to go do electrical work or HVAC. I mean, that's some, that's some fairly well-compensated labor. Uh, I mean, you you know, especially if it gets into a, like union type jobs and some of the other things. Um, I mean, that's some, that's some decent money. Uh, and yet they're still having a hard time finding people to fill those positions specifically. You want to, you want to hear some funny uh, old guy stuff. You know, when we, when I came up through the sixties and seventies, you had a motivation, uh, you, well, I like I like hot rods. So what do I do? Well, my, Dad's not going to buy me anything. How do I get that? Well, I got to go work. I got to work for unpleasant people. I got to work for people that can call me names and abuse me a little bit, make you a little thick and a little strong. They can't do that anymore. Oh, I got a hot rod. What do I want now? I, got, I like that little girl over there. She's pretty sweet. What does she want me to do? She wants me to make money. So I got to get a job. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to have kids. Everybody, I got to have you know the whole thing. Boom, boom, boom. Now. 
I'm I'm happy, made happy with this little thing in my hand. I could stare at for 10, 12 hours a day. Well, that's you know, to make money. That's true. You know, there it reminds me, Ken, when they used to people talk about they talk about amusement, how amusement uh, takes over. And uh, I remember somebody one time went over the. I went over the entom- you know, entomological, the origins of the word amusement, and basically it is the opposite of, of muse. To muse is to think, to reason, to muse on something. When you put the A in front of it, it means the opposite of that. So when you're amusing yourself, you're not thinking at all, and you're right. When you put that little thing in your hand for 12 hours, maybe people just aren't thinking as much as they used to. So you're probably 100% right on that. Yeah, they don't need to do these yeah, they don't need to do these unpleasant things to go get the necessities. And when, it's just what I worry about our you know, future. I'm, I'm kind of glad I'm not younger than I am for a lot of reasons, which is the first time I've ever heard anybody think that. But a lot of my friends say the same thing. What's this going to look like in 10, 15 years? Nobody yeah. wants to make anything. There's no bridges being built, no uh, uh, mad, massive projects being done. You know, it's kind of yeah. scary, you know. It's a, doesn't well, look very good. I will but, say uh, this, Ken. Hey, I was going to ask you, you got Mike Shower coming on. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Can you ask him a question today? Sure. Yeah, there. Yeah, just yesterday released the CEO of Vera, those guys that gave us all, all that valued testimony that the legislators were bragging about on the uh, carbon credit tax uh, right. uh, bills. Uh, the CEO just stepped down, and they were talking about this in The Guardian. The story was... Uh, that all their credits are uh, it's all a bunch of fraud, and that was our major one of our major testifiers. And people, they they led everybody uh, by the rope with to sign that thing. I just didn't know what people would, what's going on now in light of that recent news. I'll take a I'll I'll make sure I ask Mike about it, uh, Ken. Thank you so much for calling in and joining us. I appreciate that. Uh, I will say I think that we will still have roads and other things. I mean, I've met some young entrepreneurs and young go-getters. They are out there. They're just to me. It seems maybe it's just again anecdotally fewer and farther between. Charlie's down in Homer. He wanted to sound off this morning. Charlie, what's on your mind, sir? Well, Mike, I really appreciate you commenting about the employment issues and I think it's maybe a little even a little more complex and, and mixed up rather than just people feeling bad about not going back to work being fearful or whatever it might be as you said I, I think that's a component of it but I was recently reading an article in the infamous the publication from Hillsdale College that was written by uh, Andrew Puzder you know he was uh, he's a excellent businessman and was a economic advisor to President Trump and his article was uh, titled The Biden Economy and How It Could Be Fixed. And he cited a study in there that really jumped out at me as why we're having problems with our employment situation at this point. And, and let me just share this with you. It's talking about there's still 2.8 million workers missing from the labor force. And he said, why? A recent study headed by University of Chicago economist Casey Mulligan, titled Paying Americans Not to Work, found that in 24 states, unemployment benefits and Obamacare subsidies for a family of four with no one working are equal to or above national median household income. In three of those states, a family of four with no one working can receive over $100,000 per year in cash and benefits, 
and in 14 states, that number is at least $80,000, which is more than the average salary for a construction worker or an electrician. So it's like Ken was talking about. He can't find people to do HVAC or electrical work. Hell, they don't need to work if right. they're getting that kind of subsidies and stuff. Well, that's been my and question. I know my partner, Kathy, is a uh, tax accountant, and uh, she's talking all the time about how much people are getting uh, in their subsidies for their Obamacare and things like that in the uh, unearned income credit and those kinds of things right. in addition to the unemployment benefits. Well, I got to tell you, uh, first of all, Imprimus, uh, which is the weekly or the monthly newsletter from Hillsdale, has always got some good stuff in it. But that's been my one question, Char- Charlie, is how are they making it? If they're not working or if they're doing something different or they're taking a lower paying job, how are they still making it? And it would be interesting to see what the numbers are uh, over the course of the last 10 years as far as the number of benefits and people you know, receiving them and living them. I mean, here in the state of Alaska, we've got 270 plus thousand people on on uh, on some kind of benefit, state welfare of some form, whether it's Medicaid, Section 8, whatever. And uh, you're right. I think it's a I think it's a huge yep. problem. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Charlie. I appreciate it. I got well, one more caller over here. Uh, Kelly Nash is up in Fairbanks, and she wanted to sound off this morning. Kelly, thanks for holding. What is on your mind this morning? Um, pretty much the same thing that the two gentlemen prior to me spoke about. You know, um, uh, there are uh, they're being paid to stay at home, which both you know the guys went through that, but the other thing that the pandemic, the pandemic caused, um, was our generation. I'm I'm almost 52. You know, we've always worked hard. Well, I mean, I have. I can't speak for everyone, but they're also changing careers, and they're changing careers to where they won't be shut down again. You know what I mean? Um, right. Right. And they're not going out to work. You know, but yet during the whole pandemic. Kids were out there working in the grocery stores, working in the convenience stores, doing whatever they can in the state because they can't really work. And all adults were at home. You know, here in Fairbanks, it's still absolutely hilarious as to how many people. um, I mean, I have clients that own businesses and people will make, you know, appointments for an interview. They'll show up for that interview. They'll show up for one shift and then they, they quit. They walk out. And that's so that these people can keep getting these benefits that they've been getting. Um, and I really thought that this legislature would do something about that, but they, they didn't. And in the meantime, these businesses now are having to cut back their hours. And, um, oh, my God, a bird almost hit me in the head. Sorry. <laughs> That's all I have to say. I got to go. All right, right, Kelly. Uh, Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate uh, appreciate your call uh, on that. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's difficult uh, when you see how many people are are not working in the business. I mean, I talk to the business owners directly, so even not looking at the stats and statistics, I know that it is the number one complaint from many businesses. Uh, she's right. Many businesses have cut back on their hours because they can't find enough employees to cover shifts and everything else. It's a difficult thing. And 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 people have been changing careers. People made full decisions, uh, whether it was because of mandatory jabs or something else or just because they were sick and tired of the stress of it or they wanted to become an essential worker. People were more likely. I mean, they called it the great resignation for a reason. 
The Great Resignation is what they called this massive outflow of people from the workforce, and it still continues today. The silver lining of the pandemic, though, is that it fundamentally changed the way that a lot of us do work. It normalized remote work, and you're seeing some big changes there. I think we're seeing a fundamental shift in the change of employment across the country. Um, I hope it's not like Charlie and Ken said, where I'm worried about the future, but it is going to mean a shift. Interesting discussion. Thank you for participating today. I appreciate that. Hour two is dead ahead. Mike Shower is our guest. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. No, I don't think he was saying it was Obama's fault. He was calling it Obamacare, but it is the government's fault. I mean, at some point. But again, it reminds me of the old saying that I quoted yesterday, and it was a, I mean, it was a paraphrase, and I can't remember who said it, but basically, a government that's big enough to give you everything is big enough to take everything away. And that's what we have in a lot of ways is, you know, I mean, half the country doesn't even pay taxes. We've got a whole, uh, not that I love taxes, don't get me wrong, but they're also living on the dole. And you're right. Uh, there are people out there who are making a significant amount of money um, or benefit uh, by remaining unemployed and doing it. And what Kelly was just talking about is shocking. I mean, I was, here's my thing. I expect a teenager, I expect them sometime to just ghost you, right? As an employer, right? Because it's teenagers, they're flighty. They're, you know, they're, they're, I guess I, I would never do that um, just because of my personality and how I was raised. But I, you know, I would not be surprised if a teenager just doesn't show up for a job anymore and that's how they quit. They quit by just basically ghosting you. But this last, this last year, uh, like I said, I hired three people for, uh, for, I had really only one position, but I hired three people because it's been a tough position to fill because it's a, it's a sales position and it's not for everybody. And um, I thought, out of the three, I'm definitely going to get at least one, maybe two. Um, but like 10 days into the process, the first one just vaporized. I mean, she's she was 20, mid-20s, something like that, mid-20s, um, had probably the best-looking resume of anybody else that I hired and had some experience and did all this. And then one day, one Monday, she just didn't show up for work. And I was worried. I was like worried because, you know, she had a kid and the kid had been in the doctors the previous week. And I was like, ah, I'm trying to, she just poof, never said a word, never said anything, wouldn't respond to phone calls or text messages, just gone. And I thought, that's just weird. And then about another 25 or 30 days later, the second one, who at this point was a 50 he was 52. He was my age. He was, he was, and he also just one day didn't show up for work. And I thought he had had some health challenges and I thought maybe he was at the hospital or what. I mean, I literally went and tracked him down because I was worried about him. I thought maybe he, 
because he had had some issues. And I thought, and he was all alone. He just moved up here a year and a half ago. Didn't have any family. Didn't have. So I literally went and tracked this guy down because I was worried about him. And he answers his door. And he's just like, uh, I mean, first of all, place reeked of marijuana. Second of all, uh, he's just, I just can't. Oh, it's just, oh, the thing, this, this stuff and the stress and the, the, I'm like, okay, well, you know, we could talk about it and then whatever I can do to help. If you want to come in Monday, cause it was a Friday, uh, we can discuss it. He's like, oh yeah. And then I never saw him again. He never, never showed up. Yeah. Perhaps it's me. Perhaps I'm just difficult to work for. Um, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just astonished. And this is not, it wasn't unusual for me to, because every other employer said basically the same thing. People just, it's not like they quit. It's not like they said, I don't like your work environment. I don't like the pay. I don't like this. I don't like that. It was just, they would just disappear. To which I just, I can't believe people would actually do that. Like not have the courtesy of saying, of even just texting me and saying, I quit, I can't do this anymore. Or calling me, leaving me a voicemail, sending me an email. You don't have to do any of this stuff face-to-face, but to just ghost you. I mean, Brian says cowardice. Yeah, I mean, maybe, but again, how cowardly is it? I mean, hell, you could send somebody a text message and then block their number and never have to hear from them again, right? You could do that. I'm just so shocked. So shocked that, uh, but maybe it's right. Maybe that first gal, maybe she just wanted to continue her unemployment benefits. I, I don't know. Maybe she just wanted to show she worked and I don't know how people would make it on unemployment. I looked at unemployment after I left the radio station, the other radio station in 2017 to go out on my own. I had a six-month moratorium where I couldn't do radio. They wouldn't allow me to do it uh, because I had a non-compete, which was BS. But anyway, um, so I I actually looked at unemployment to try and figure I mean, I don't know how people make it on unemployment. I mean, I think the maximum unemployment I could have gotten, even with the number of kids and everything else, was something like, I don't think I would have made sixteen or 1700 bucks a month. I'm like, I can't even can't even pay rent and heat with that. What are you talking about? Pay the mortgage and pay the heat and you've already exceeded your own. How do you even make it on that? I guess maybe if you had both both, uh, both uh, 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 adults in the household on unemployment. I mean, how would you? I don't even know. How do you do that? How would you even make it? Oh, okay. I see that... Uh, State Senator uh, Mike Schauer is uh, in the green room, uh, but I'm 40 seconds out. So let's hope his audio is good uh, because I don't have enough time to go check it before we go. So we'll be back. We're going to continue. Back with more of the Michael Duke Show, the Shower Hour of Power up next. We'll continue right after these messages. Don't go anywhere. Here we go.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com. And across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Welcome back to Hour 2 of the big radio broadcast. We're about to jump into it with State Senator Mike Schauer uh, for the Shower Hour of Power. But first, a couple housekeeping things just to remind you that I will be off this Friday and on Memorial Day. So Friday and Monday, four-day weekend for me. Woo, woot, woot. Um, and so there'll be alternate programming in both markets, uh, both the peninsula and up in the interior, for uh, Friday and for Monday. Secondly, if you didn't get a chance to go check out alaskaradioauction.com, They've still got a ton of stuff there available. It's going to be going on till the end of the month where you can get gift certificates to restaurants, hotels, uh, clothiers, uh, uh, river rafting trips, canoe trips, uh, riverboat, uh, Stan Stevens cruises in Valdez, uh, hotel stays in Homer in Valdez and Seward and all over the place. If you haven't got a chance to go check it out where you can experience Alaska and go have fun this summer for half price, Go over and check it out at alaskaradioauction.com. Then they got some big ticket items like they've got an Argo, they've got a, a wood stove, they've got a log splitter. There's some other things that you can go bid on. Just go check out alaskaradioauction.com right now. Will you do that for me? All right, so that's the two pieces of house, uh, uh, house uh, cleaning stuff that I can do. Uh, but let's uh, go over now and get started since we've got our guest and well, he's almost sitting down. I can see his empty chair. He's going to be there in a second. State Senator Mike Schauer uh, going to be joining us to talk about the session, the end of the session, the beginning and end of the special session, which was, whew, that was a round trip whirlwind. Uh, and then we're going to talk about the upcoming half of the session in January. What is that going to look like? Oh, he's got the coffee. Cafefe. Um, he, what is the, uh, what is the second half of the session going to look like, or maybe an upcoming special session in October? Let's find out more about what, uh, he thinks, uh, for the shower hour of power. It is state Senator Mike shower. Good morning, my friend. How are you? I see you're back at the old homestead. You ready to go? Oh yeah. I just needed my coffee. It was brewing, but it wasn't quite ready. And I was like, Hmm, mm. gotta have that before we talk. Gotta have the Joe. Gotta have the Joe this morning. Um, <sighs> all right, Mike. Well, no, you said last week, this is going to, that this show was going to be an interesting show. That was before that was, you know, the last minute battle. That was before the whole showdown before the end of the session. And now the one day special session, the following day, uh, so, uh, Mike Shower, 
How about uh, you just give us the thoughts right off the top of your head on those topics as we get started here in uh, the first segment? Go. Does a republic die? And I'm sorry about my voice, by the way, just because it's not quite healed. You might have seen last Wednesday. I was so frustrated on the floor. I couldn't speak. Yeah. I lost my voice literally within about two hours of the floor session kickoff. I, I couldn't speak at all. It was killing me. Yeah. So no, it's you're still good. recovering. Not 100%, but I'm almost there. So the question I have, Mike, is does a republic die in a bang or a whimper? And I think I just witnessed part of our republic die pretty much in a whimper because I've seen no great outcry from the people. I've seen no great outcry from not nearly enough legislators, only a handful. I've seen no great outcry from the press. I've seen orange man bad tweet and people lose their minds. But I watch a Senate majority in, in Alaska, the Alaska State Senate majority, absolutely obliterate our bicameral process between the bodies and how we've done governance in this nation for several hundred years, better part of 300 years. I watch it get obliterated and nobody says a word. Not a peep, Mike. Not a peep. I mean, literally, does it just die on the stage like that? Oh, wait, did you? I don't, not, know, what else, did you, I don't know what else. You're wait, did you not listen to the show? Because I was definitely peeping. I mean, I just, I'm just saying. I, you know, look. Yeah, but, sir, but remember, you know, as was told during my campaign last year, you only have about 12 listeners, so you don't count. That's true. That's true. I only have a dozen listeners or so that are listening to us at any given time. Um, Mike, this was my this was my hangup uh, about this whole thing, and. This is why, I mean, when I talked to my representative and I, you know, read the commentary from other representatives as to why they voted to to capitulate in the first day of the special session. And I, you know, my basic commentary was, look, I really didn't expect you to get a better deal. I I didn't really expect you to get a better deal if it went to conference committee because I could see how the sides were lining up. But to completely we should at least go through the motions of defending the process. That's the point. The point is, is that you rolled over and wet on yourself and capitulated to this blackmail tactic from the Senate. And you've basically shown them that it works. And that has completely abrogated the process. I'm not going to, you know, spend a lot of time talking about the House. I'm not in the House. I'm in the Senate. Um, The House is not the one that acted this way. The House is not the one that decided to perhaps destroy a part of our constitutional duty as a Senate, because I'm going to make the argument here in a minute about this. But Well, wait a second, um, wait a second. Before you jump into that, let me just say this. I understand you don't want to say anything bad about anybody, and you're right, the House didn't do this, but that being said, the House is now enabling that. And so I'm not saying you have to call out anybody. I, I can do that all on my own. But I'm going to disagree with you. This is not 100% the Senate. The Senate is primarily at fault because of the way they did this and the way they did it. But the House, again, just threw their hands up in the air in surrender and said whatever. Or they accepted the bribery or whatever you want to say. The House well, has got some has got definitely got some uh, but, responsibility but but let's be clear about that, Mike. The 16 Democrats and independents that call themselves Democrats that aren't, um, we're already in league with the with the Senate. So when you say the House, it's like we broad brush education. I'm trying to be a little smart about it. It's not every educator, right? It's not no. every teacher. It's not every school, not every district. Some are doing well, some suck. But that's what we're talking about here. This is not everyone. There were still 16, I think it was 16 or 14 
um, uh, House members that did not um, agree to this and voted no still. So it's not everybody. It's not the whole House. It's a few of them. And and frankly, it only took $38 million of, of bribery because <laughs> that's what it is, right? Right. $38 million worth of bribery on capital projects to get a few members to switch over and vote to to get out of there and go home, whether they just wanted to go home, whether they have whatever. So, I mean, I just want to be real clear on this, Mike, because we tend to broad brush things and go, well, sure. the House. Well, no, it wasn't the House. It was members of the House. And furthermore, it was only a few members of the House. Right. It wasn't. Well, we knew the know, six. We knew that. The, yeah, we knew the 16 minority members were going to be. We, we knew that they were going to vote with the Senate no matter what. So what we're talking about is the 10 members of the majority that jump ship. And then I saw again, you know, somebody said, well, this is what a non-binding caucus looks like. Well, I don't think you can blame it on the non-binding caucus. I think we could, you can bind it on is a lack of moral fortitude to basically say we're not going to be bullied into things. It has nothing to do with the binding caucus. You had 10 members of the majority basically split and break off. 14 voted against it. Thank God for them. But you had, you know, you had a, you had another, uh, you had another ten that were like, well, we're just going to do what we're going to do. Uh, that's and it, so it's part of the problem. The Senate is primarily responsible. I'm going to agree with you on that because they are playing these games. The problem is, is that they're going to keep playing these games because they see that it works. Well, again, so like I said, I'm not, I'm not going to. Obviously, we don't. I, I wouldn't even. I didn't. And I'll even be beyond that, Mike. I didn't even look at all the names. I saw the board that it failed, and I just I just walked away and shook my head and said, "I'm done. I don't care." I mean, I'm I'm tired of banging my head against the wall and trying to do the right thing, you know, for the people in the state. And you can't make progress. And so, it really is as far as it went. I mean, I read an article, a couple articles about it. Like, I mean, when's the last time the the House Speaker voted against the budget? <laughs> it's been a while. I mean, the House Speaker. One of the finance co-chairs and the majority leader and the majority all voted against the budget, you know, and, and concurring with this. So this is not a small thing. And so, but again, Mike, going back to the point and what I think is most germane, what is important here is, and I don't think it's, it's inappropriate to say it this way. I had a couple of constituents where I talked about it. This is about the process to me. I've, I've talked to a lot of house members that weren't even that upset necessarily in the budget per se. There, some of them in the majority were not happy with the, the PFD because they want to go to the 50-50 and a comprehensive plan, which every piece of the puzzle is sitting on the board in play. And again, the Senate majority refuses to move those pieces, right? So that being said, I'm looking at this and going, they were like, well, you know, I'm kind of happy that the Senate played this. This is the Senate majority. This is what a power play is. I'm like, no, wrong. Because they said, well, I didn't see any statutes violated. You know, actually, I don't know if there were any statutes, but I can tell you what was violated, the uniform rules, because this is not how a bicameral process works. What was probably violated, Mike, and I've heard people talk about it, and I think there's an argument to be made, a strong one, is that the one constitutional duty we have, because people talk about it all the time, including the left, right? Oh, you have a constitutional duty to pass the budget. How many legislators have I heard say that? Except when that's a constitutional duty, and one of the two bodies of the bicameral legislation decides not to hand the budget to the other body and allow them to do their constitutional duty. Mike, has that body not violated the Constitution? <laughs> I would argue they have. I would not. I believe that the majority disagree. actually violated the Constitution by not giving the House the capital budget at all to ever look at 
until the last hour or two. I think they violate, I, th I think that not only did they obliterate our system, our process, Mike, of how we do, how we work between the bodies, the trust between the bodies, the process between the bodies, what we're supposed to do. I think they violated the constitution. They certainly violated the trust of the, of the house. They violated the faith that the people have in the system if they had any faith in it. Mike, this is an unprecedented step. I mean, this is something like, can you imagine, can you imagine, Mike, at the federal government level, if the House or Senate would play this game, the, the, what this would cause, this would cause a, this, this is one of the, you know, the nuclear option, right? This is a nuclear option if the House just held the budget at the U.S. government level and never let the Senate see it until the last minute. So vote for it now or else. You know what would happen? There would be a mushroom cloud over Washington, D.C. with this. Right. Mike, I mean, this is not a small thing. And I'm not saying, like I said, you and your 12 people that watch you, you know, are talking about it. I think I heard Bacaro maybe say a little bit, you know, a couple things. But the point is, where's the press? The, the press that's there all the time, right? Because you're not sitting in Juno every day with a recorder and watching in the halls and writing about it. Like I watch, you know, the six to eight others that were there. I've seen, I mean, just a little, just a hint of stuff. And I even know they know it's wrong, Mike, because I was asking them, ask some hard questions. And I was, I was speaking privately to some of the hall, and you could just see them shake their head like, gosh, I've never seen this before. Then why aren't you saying anything? You're watching them, the Senate majority, literally break down our system of governance, and you're saying nothing. It goes beyond just, Mike, like you said, that, well, you know, they've, you know, they've abrogated their responsibility, blah, blah, blah. No, they've broken the Constitution, in my opinion. I don't know what else to say to that. You can't, <clears throat> you cannot withhold the budget from the other body. That's not how it works. And for those that are saying, well, you know, it's just a power play, whatever. Can you imagine, Mike, can you imagine if the House majority Republicans had held the budget and not given it to the Senate until the wee hours of the last day last week? Could you imagine what would be what would be being said right now about the House Republican majority had they done that? Can you imagine what the Senate majority leadership would be saying about that right now had they done it? Can you imagine? Oh, I can imagine. I can imagine with their with their uh, allies in the media and everything else. I can imagine. Although, surprisingly, we saw a lot of the media members asking questions like, Do, are you looking for cooperation or compromise or capitulation? I mean, they they could yeah. see it. I mean, they could even they were a little aghast at this. Not that they really expounded on that, but they even they were a little bit shocked by this action. And like I said, if for nothing else, even if we got, uh, quite honestly, even if we got a worse budget that came out of a conference committee, at least the process would have been followed. What was astounding to me was that right after this happened, you saw the meme going around saying that the, basically that the House of Representatives had become a 40-member advisory committee instead of an well, elected yeah, body. Yeah, but it's, I mean, not, untrue. But it's yeah. not untrue, but then they even made it, the problem is it was a meme, but now they've made it the truth. Because they went ahead and concurred and capitulated. That's the problem. Like I said, put the budget aside. This was an argument about process. And we've and we failed. We failed to protect the process. And that's a big part of the uh, of the problem. All right. Uh, Mike Shower is our guest. We I mean, you and I don't disagree on that, Mike. Um, I think that there's some blame to go around everywhere, but uh, we'll continue this discussion. The Michael Duke show common sense and we're going to find out what happens 
now that we know that this is what's going on, this nuclear option, what kind of nuclear exchange are we going to have in the next session? The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be best. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. <sighs> I mean, I don't want to get sideways with you, Mike, on this, but I just, again, it, it the ball was passed into the court. Uh, again, foul play, bad call, shouldn't have done it, but the house should have stood strong and, and just, just said, no, they should have just on the process itself. They should have worked it out. They should have made the process play out. We're not going to get sideways because I don't disagree with you on the broadest sense. It's just that I'm going to keep the blame focused where it needs to be. The house was not the bad actor here. I do believe and agree with you that some of those members that voted for <clears throat> basically giving the Senate its way after the Senate basically bribed them with $38 million once it, that's all it took, right? $38 million spread out in some capital projects and they swung enough people to vote to get out of there and leave. So for those that voted yes, I don't agree that that was the best move for them. They have their reasons. They need to explain it. I don't know why. I didn't talk to each individual once. So I have no idea why they ended up voting yes. That's on them. I, I can't speak to that because I, I simply don't know. But um, and, and so I agree with you that I if they asked me, what should I have done, Mike? I would have said, I, I think you should hold out. You got to go to conference committee and force the Senate to play ball the way it's supposed to be, the way our Constitution says it's supposed to be in our uniform rules and not allow the Senate to basically break the law. It's ridiculous. So here's my point, though, is that I'm not going to take the focus off of the Senate majority for doing this. The House is not the one that did this. So if you want to play that and say, well, the House is a little culpable and letting, okay, that's fine. But focus everything back on where it needs to be and where it needs to be at the bad actors, Mike. A handful of people destroyed our process. A handful of people pulled a nuclear option that should have never been pulled and likely violated the Constitution. And we need to stay focused on that group because they're the ones that did it. The House may have just in the end game gotten tired, frustrated, confused. A few of them said enough. I'm just done with this and left. Not the best move, in my opinion, but they have their reasons for doing it. But that still doesn't, you know, it's like saying, well, you know, the, the abuser wasn't, you know, the, was enabled by the victim. Well, I'm not going to turn around and blame the victim for what happened here. Uh, you know, maybe they should go to the police or get help or, you know, fight back. But the point is, it's not that person's fault. And in this case, the house is not at fault here, Mike, other than a few members in the end saying just to heck with it. And, and for whatever reason, voting yes. 99% of the blame needs to go in the right place. And that blame goes to the Senate majority because they're the ones that did this. The Senate majority and specifically leadership and more specifically probably finance or in, in cahoots with several did this. They did something that's never been seen in this state. I'm not sure however, however many other states have ever seen something like this, Mike. This is unprecedented as far as I know. Yeah. Well, and like I you don't said, even, it's not. I mean, this is so shocking to me. It's just you've got to be kidding me, right? It's, that they even agree to this, and it's not being covered. I mean, that's the other thing. I think we're probably one of the few places what we're actually talking about this: the death of the process. I mean, that's what it's become, um, and it, it, you know, it is pure 
It is the it is the pursuit of power over all else. That's exactly what it is. We are going to control everything. You know, we used to talk about distilling the power in the legislature to down just to, to, you know, half a dozen, maybe a dozen people between the two houses of leadership. But what they've attempted to do here and what they've succeeded in doing is they succeeded in concentrating the power in the entire legislature to essentially three people. That's essentially what they've done. Well, they turned this into a dictatorship, Mike. It, it is not, in, in my opinion, it is not an unfair representation to say that you went from a representative body with two co-equal, you know, a House and a Senate that were co-equal with co-equal, mostly the same, but a little bit different responsibilities. One would hold the operating budget, the other the capital budget. At an appropriate time, they switch them. They both look at them. They continue on. They do their thing. You've taken it from that co-equal um, bicameral process set up to a dictatorship where a handful of people in one body own the entire thing. It is, you cannot say that this is a representative body of government, Mike. You can't. All right. I saw, I heard that. <clears throat> yeah, we're going to, we're going to come back here. We're jumping back into it. Uh, we're uh, 30 seconds out now. Mike shower is our guest uh, state Senator from district. O. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about, what the process and what what is it going to look like? <clears throat> What's it going to look like in this go around, this second half of the session? Now that we know that the gloves are off, what is that going to look like? We're going to have that discussion right now. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty based, free thinking radio. Like and share. Here we go. Okay, the Michael Duke Show continues. Our guest is State Senator Mike Shower, what we lovingly call the Shower Hour of Power. Um, we're here to talk about uh, what happened during the session, the special session, but now I want to move on to a discussion of what happens next in the next half of the session. Uh, Mike, we've seen the card get played. You called it the nuclear option. I would not disagree with that. Um, literally holding the House hostage uh, over this kind of stuff. The House transmitted their part of the budget to the Senate a month before the end of the session. And the Senate remained, waited until the last, what, three hours of the, you know, four, I guess six hours. They transmitted it at like 6.30 at yeah, night. Yeah, a little less than six, I think. Yeah, uh, 6.30, 630 at 30, night. 6.30, 7 o'clock. Yep, and so. said, take it or leave it. So my question is, what do you see happening in the next half of the session? Because, again, we're going to be faced with the same thing for the next fiscal year's budget. Um what happens if the House holds back on their half of the budget until the last six hours? What happens well, if they... Nothing, Mike. I mean, yeah. why? We've done this now. It's it's now a tactic. Yeah. So This is now a valid tactic. Unless somebody was to file a suit, which somebody probably should, um, you know, maybe the House should file a suit against the Senate. Uh, you know, that'd be an interesting one to watch and see how the judiciary rules on that. So you'll know how we play this game, right? First of all, um, they've played these kind of not this kind of nuclear game, but they play these kind of games a couple of years ago when the Senate finance tried to shove through the 75, 25 plan thing. Again, they had that whole act. 
and they waited until the last day or so of the special session and didn't give themselves time. And we actually won that battle and shut it down <clears throat> because they played this game and they held it to the very end. And then there was no time left for them to get concurrence vote. And they, they actually kind of screwed that one up. It was funny. Um, but so when you look at this one, they had 24 hour rule, right? It's supposed to wait 24 hours when you transmit. So theoretically, technically, when the Senate waited until about 6.30 or so to transmit it to the other body on the last day of the session, there wasn't time anyways for the House. Regardless of it, it was a terrible, I mean, this was a nuclear option. This was probably unconstitutional, definitely a violation of our rules. And they did it anyways. The House could have just said, you know what, we need 24 hours. Now, here's an interesting, because this, this speaks to the mentality, Mike. I asked somebody in leadership, well, don't we have to wait 24 hours so it's too late? The leadership just looks at me and goes, we can do what we want. We've blown that rule off all the time. And I'm like, but those rules are higher than statute. In order of precedence, it's statutes, uniform rules, constitution. That's the authority, right, in the state, the, the, the scale. <clears throat> but this doesn't matter. We, we blow that off all the time. And the, and the, the judiciary has said it's not going to get involved in legislative business. Bam, right there, Mike. We can do what we want. We're above the law. We don't have to follow it. And the judiciary is never going to correct us. So what good is even a lawsuit? The legislator tried that a few years ago over the PFD all the way to the Supreme Court and Alaska had lost. The, the reality is, Mike, even a lawsuit in violation of the Constitution probably doesn't mean much in the state because the judiciary is going to go, well, hands off. We don't want to get in your business, right? So I say, I'd love to go back to why is this happening? I went through um, about, and I'll have to get it to you. I'm just I'm kind of finessing it a bit. But I've always struggled, you know, why with so many supposed Republicans and a majority of Republicans do we keep voting this way and doing this stuff? And I started thinking a little bit differently about a week and a half ago in June, I was sitting on a little whiteboard in the office. <clears throat> so I drew it up. And on that whiteboard, I'm like, well, Rob Myers and I talk a lot about this, you know, about the private sector, how this state <clears throat> is run by this, the public sector, right? government employees, big unions, you know, et cetera, that are tied to government spending, all that stuff. And so I sat down, I started looking at why I said, put different, you know, letters beside each name of all 20 senators. And when it came right down to Mike, at the end of the day, I kind of sat back and it was like my binding caucus research, right? Because there are some people that, well, we need a binding caucus. I'm like, no, no, you don't. It's lazy, unethical leadership. How, how can you promise your vote two years in advance? Come on, guys, you got to do better than that. Every other state gets away with it, right? Because I was shocked. When I did that research, I'm like, holy mackerel, nobody else really does this except us. Um, so I sat back and looked at this. And when I was done, I kind of sat back and go, wow, I really didn't think about it like this. But when it's done, Mike, and while not everybody's exactly 100%, you know, this way, when you look at the 20 current senators in the state of Alaska, only two of us, Mike, only two are fully tied and employed by and are affected by what happens to the private sector in Alaska. Senator Myers and myself are the only two that have full-time <clears throat> dependent jobs outside of the government sector. That's it. There may have been some people that once were, they may do a little part-time stuff. A couple of people do some union stuff. Like I said, union might as well be government, you know, in this state. <clears throat> Think about that, Mike. 10%, two of the senators. Rob's a full-time truck driver. I'm a full-time pilot outside the legislature. There is not a single other legislator that I can tell in the Senate that is tied to the private sector. When you sit and think about it that way, does it surprise you at all that the Senate votes the way it does? And the legislature in the House is probably not that different. The House, I'm, I'm sure it's somewhat similar to that, maybe a little different numbers. 
Is it any surprise to you that we prioritize the state over all else, that the state is sacrosanct in the Alaska legislature, legislature, that the state is funded first and the people second, that the priority on bills and how we do things seems to always be the state, the state, nothing but the state. Does this surprise you when you look and realize that only two of 20 senators are fully tied to the private sector with jobs? It's what it is, Mike. I hadn't even thought of it that way until I put it on the whiteboard and sat back and looked at it. My good grief. It's, I mean, this is the, this is the most dangerous part. I mean, not just the process being abrogated, but the whole idea that somehow that the public sector is disconnected from the private sector. And it is literally because of the way the POMV draw uh, happens. This is the most dangerous time for us as a state, uh, for us as a, as a, representational, you know, uh, a, a republic or, you know, representational democracy. This is the only, this is a dangerous, scary time. And we should all be very worried about that disconnect between the state economy, the public economy and the private economy, which they're just pushing on harder and harder and harder. Like I said the other day, when people think about the economic prosperity in the state, uh, many of them feel like, well, as long as the government's being funded, we're economically prosperous. That's a dangerous dangerous precedent and mindset to have. Well, so you asked about what happens next. <clears throat> Here's my point on the process and the, the whole thing. It's all I could speak. I get out about 60 seconds of squeaking. Like I'm almost starting to do it again here. Like I said, my voice isn't still isn't back all the way, but I said, you know, people process policy, PFD, all those things kind of combined together was the reason why it was a pretty easy no vote for me, right? Minority anyways, the way we were treated, why in the world would I vote for their budget? But think about it, Mike, the budget did go up about $400 million in aggregate. Got that right from Donna Arduin, who's right smack in the heat of the battle for Representative Carpenter's, Carpenter's office. And my chief of staff in Russia is really good at looking at the numbers. So he was all over it as well. They're working as a team coming up with, you know, the different numbers. So we did increase the spending of this government probably by nearly half a billion dollars for all their crowing about a responsible budget. Every single penny almost they could spend, they did. And they did that. So here's the, here's the crux, Mike. So we did all that <clears throat> while <laughs> I can't, I still can't believe you could go home to your constituents and look them in the eye with a straight face. We have been taking the PFD for years. So we took the PFD again. I had an amendment, several, right? Again, of course, um, one to strip out the pay raise, voted down hard. One for a statutory PFD, which I went around the room, counted the votes, didn't even, I put out there and then withdrew it because I knew I didn't even have close to us. So, well, maybe we'll get the 50-50. You know, everybody says they support that, right? That was shot down hard. I think I got like four votes or whatever out of, you know, out of the entire, but even some people and some, a couple of Democrats that have been very supportive, guess what they did, Mike? Ooh, they followed the binding caucus. I only got like four votes, I think, for the 50-50 PFD. I mean, it was ridiculous. So while we have been taking the PFD, Hurting Alaskans, the, the middle class and the poor the most, hurting our private sector economy, while increasing the spending and cost of government, while fully funding government and taking every penny we can for government. While we did all of that, Mike, while we did all of that, and in the process destroyed our bicameral system of governance, if that wasn't enough, the cherry on top, Mike, was we did all of it with a straight face while voting ourselves a 67% pay raise. Equal to 34000 extra dollars a year per legislator. $34,000. 67% pay raise. Pretty nice gig if you can get it. To do all that other stuff 
and still give yourself a pay raise because you did such a bang up job. Mike, how you can go home and look your constituents in the face and say, I deserve a 67% pay raise is beyond me. I can't, it is, th this entire session is unfathomable to me. The depths to which we have sunk and what has happened with this. It is just, I, I don't even know what to say about this anymore. I mean, I'm, I almost wish my voice was still gone because I want to rage at the machine for this. I mean, Mike, this is, this is hypocrisy at its highest level. Next level hypocrisy. Yeah. Unethical actions, next level. I mean, the, the stuff you're seeing out of this is, this is varsity league, brother. The amount of stuff they're doing here, it is just, it is just blowing my mind that all of this, but to give yourself, a, I mean, you had a four month session, Mike, to that pay raise went from 50,000 to 84,000 a year, plus an average of 36,000, the, the, the per diem, right? For the four months, that's a cool $120,000, 36 of it tax free for what is most of us a four month job, $120,000. That's a pretty flipping good gig if you can get it. Mike, it is, this entire session ought to be, ought to be the freaking. it ought to be, a, you want to do an Alaska reality show? They ought to do it about this session. <laughs> oh man, it'd be a bestseller. Uh, all right. So two thoughts that I want to get back to when we come back from the break. One, um, have you talked, have you spoken to the governor? Uh, you know, I mean, cause I may, I, I, I was hoping that maybe the governor would start to pull out the pen and do some things, uh, but that's not going to happen. Uh, so did you speak to the governor about it? And then where do you see us going uh, for special session? Those are going to be the topics when we return. The Michael Duke Show continues. It is your home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. State Senator Mike Schauer is our guest. We continue in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on, on, the, on the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, State Senator Mike Schauer <clears throat> is uh, our guest, and we're talking with him about uh, the state of the state, the state of the session. Um, I guess, Mike, are are we having fun yet? Are we are we having are we having any kind of fun at this point? Is my question. No, I'm just sitting here reading the Constitution again while I'm on the break in between you because I've read it. I read it like, you know, these sections a couple times while this was all taking place, just looking to shaking my head going, you got to be kidding me. I mean, it is so crystal clear to me that they, I mean, Mike, I, I don't know what else to say. They just violated the constitution. I don't even care. I mean, the, the arrogance, um, I, I'm just astounded by this. As a guy that served his country for 24 years, you know, that in his own way, you know, of course, you know, whether you fight or not for your country is just relevant to the time that you serve, whether there's war, but of course there's the USM is being a, for many decades has been in a constant state of warfare one way or another all over the world. <clears throat> and so I did, you know, partake of that in Iraq and Serbia. And as somebody who's actually gone out there and kind of hung it out a little bit, um, I'm really disheartened by this beyond what I believe I can adequately put into words because 
I mean, frankly, Mike, I mean, so many people have fought and died for this country and for that little book there, really, on our system of governance, what this is about, and to watch this just be tossed to the side and stomped on, because I really do believe that's what happened here because of people's arrogance and, and lust for power is, it's, it's numbing to me. It really is. And it, it's hard for me to put into words the feeling that, you know, I'm just watching it be washed away. Um, sad. So. It is. <clears throat> and frustrating that, um, uh, you know, and frustrating that here you are sacrificing time away from your career and your family and everything else. And this is, you know, this is what we got. Um, I mean, this is this is what this is what it looks like. Uh, it's got to be just ultimately frustrating at that point. I mean, I, I just I can't even imagine. I don't know, man. I mean, anyways, I won't read it here on the air. We get not have enough time for it. But some people ought to go out and take a look at the Constitution, Mike. I'd love to see some people. I'd love to see the people do a class action lawsuit against the legislature. I would. I'd like to see them do a class action lawsuit for um, violating the Constitution, taking away their voice. I mean, when you think about it, Mike, in a way, the Senate majority actually silenced the voice of every single man and woman in Alaska that is of age to vote. And frankly, the kids, too because they took away the right of those 40 representatives to have input on the budget, to follow the process, to be able to debate and amend the budget to a way that may be better for what that body saw or what their district needs. And the Senate never gave them that deal. And then at the end, it went a step further and you know bribed enough of them by sprinkling $38 million around the state um, to get a few votes, to, get the, the, to, to make this happen. So the people of Alaska, frankly, Mike, if you could find the right people and a couple hot shot lawyers, they ought to file a class action lawsuit against the legislature for a constitutional violation of their rights in, in the process. They really should. This this really shouldn't stand. I don't know what to do, Mike. I have no authority. I'm not on ledge budget, not on a ledge council. There's no way I'd ever that the vote. They're never it's like a it's like an ethics complaint. If you're on the outside of the circle, which I am, they're never gonna, you know, do they're gonna just say nothing to see here. Nothing to see. No, move along, move along. These aren't the droids you're looking for, right? So and knowing how the judiciary plays ball at the Supreme Court and five of them are left to center, all five, <clears throat> not likely. But, you know, how do you how do you not fire back, Mike? If I was the House, you asked about the second session next year, I'd hold that operating budget until the last day if I had to, until that capital budget comes across. If I was the House, when I have the capital budget in my hands is when the Senate would get the operating budget. Moving forward, how the House would ever give anything to the Senate until the House has been, has it transmitted and holding it in their hands, they would be, that would not be a wise move, in my opinion, to ever right. trust the Senate again for what they have done. How could you trust somebody, right? This is like the relationship between, you know, a husband and a wife. Once one of them has cheated, you can never, you can still get along, you can still stay together, you can still figure out a way to make it work. You know, because you might have to for your children, just like you might have to for the state, right? But how can you ever trust again? Because you've eroded the foundation of that relationship. Once you've done it once, Mike, you might do it again and you've eroded that trust. That's really what we're talking about here, right? You can't ever know that they're not going to do it to you again with these players. Some of these players have been doing it for years, so... 
Uh, Jeannie makes a novel argument. Filing a bar complaint is not legal action, but makes the lawyers have to justify their unethical actions violating the Constitution they sort of uphold. She's talking about the three lawyers that are in the Senate, uh, Wolikowski and Clayman and Dunbar. Uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, we're going to revisit what you just said here uh, because I want the folks on the radio to hear that as well. One final segment. I'm going to ask those two questions again, and then Mike is have free reign for the rest of the segment. Here we go. Uh, the Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like and share us on YouTube. Like and subscribe and ring the bell if you want to get notifications every time we go live. Uh, and like and share and follow on Facebook as well. Just do it to it. Here we go. Jumping back into it. Okay, continuing now, Mike Shower, our guest. It's the final segment for today's show. Uh, before we went to break, I asked Mike two questions. First of all, did he had any con- have you had any conversations with the governor uh, about the end of the session, specifically the abrogation of process, and was he planning on, did, you know, was he going to take a stand on anything? And the second thing was, what does the next half of the session look like? You called it the nuclear option. To me, it looks like it's going to be a limited nuclear exchange come January when it comes time to budget, because why would they give over the the budget from the House to the Senate in this regard? So let's first start off with the governor. Any conversations or anything you could share with what uh, any thoughts that he may have? Because we haven't really seen anything out of them out of him on this, especially the process part. No idea, Mike. Um, like I said, the last time we talked to him was the week before when the Senate minority was just trying to get a read on things like, you know, what was happening because we were being excluded, of course. Um, and so, uh, no. And then after all this took place starting on Wednesday, I haven't been able to talk for a week anyway. I mean, it wasn't until really yesterday where I could kind of get my voice back without it completely cracking. Like it's even done a couple times this morning. So talking was not much of an option for the last week regardless. So no, I have no idea. I haven't spoken to Mike. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, I would certainly hope he might swing the veto pin out, um, you know, and send a message here. Um, he could get really ballsy and, and veto the whole thing and send it back and go follow the doggone constitution in the process. So, you know, he could, but I don't, I don't know that they will at this point. So I have no idea. So that's number one. Um, <clears throat> and then number two, like we were saying on air or in the break, not only am I disappointed as a military guy, right? Cause you know, not every military person served overseas or in combat. I have, you know, it's just, that's just timing. But to watch, you know, what I would basically say, you know, as a slow march, you know, death of our constitution, when you can start abrogating parts of it or, or, you know, destroying parts of it and go, we're just not going to do that. And then have the judiciary, you know, knowing that it's not going to do anything. Right. So, oh, we don't get involved in that, you know, um, and knowing that our, you know, Supreme court leans five and no left, everybody knows it, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, so nothing is likely to happen about that because they're more aligned with a lot of the people in the house, right. In the Senate, a moderate or leftist. So not much hope there in that case. But like I said, a spouse, this is like a, the relationship between spouses, Mike, when one of them cheats, um, they can stay together. They can work it out for the good of the kids and the family. You know, they can, they might, um, just like you would want the house and the Senate, you know, we got to work things out for the state of Alaska, but here's the point. Once somebody has cheated, you have absolutely destroyed the foundation of that relationship, trust. How can you as a house member ever trust 
that the Senate's not going to do this to you again, that they're not going to throw you under the bus, stab you under the back or stab you in the back. How can you ever trust Mike? The implications of these actions go beyond this session. This may take years of relationships to rebuild, if ever. And it will always be remembered as, hey, well, you remember that time the Senate basically never gave us the budget and blew off the Constitution? <laughs> like, people will, re will remember this. So what they have done goes far beyond just, oh, well, you know, they didn't do it this year. No, this is going to affect next year. Like I said, if the, if, the, if the House, if I was in the House, Mike, the Senate is not going to see the operating budget until the capital budget is in my hands. Mm. When they have that, I go, okay, now we got the budget. We can go ahead and give them the operating budget. That's how I would operate. Why would you ever give anything to the Senate without them giving it to you first after this? They're going to hose you, stab you in the back. That's what they just did. And furthermore, Mike, like I said in the break, when you go to somebody filing a, you know, they ought to file a lawsuit against this, against the Senate for doing this, Senate majority, don't, don't file against me, um, is that you basically silence the voice of every single Alaskan because you silence the voice of the entire House, which represents every single Alaskan. You literally took away their right to look at the budget in the appropriate process and have input to it. That, that's a real thing, Mike. This isn't just some little pie in the sky. Oh, well, you know, that's what, that's what I think. That's what they did. They took away the right of every Alaskan through their representative to have input on the budget. The Senate said, take it or leave it. We're going to hold on to it. And we're not, it just, it's mind boggling, Mike, going back to the federal level. Can you imagine what would happen if this happened at the federal level? It would shut, the government would fall apart because that's what you're doing. You're unmantling it. So, no, I haven't talked to the governor. This is a mess. The, the relationship between the House and the Senate has been destroyed, except for the House minority, because you already know that the senators were going to the House minority, right, and working out deals. And I got that straight from some of the House majority members. The Senate finance folks were going to the House minority, and they basically reinstituted almost every one of the, the cuts to the, that the House minority had, had tried to put into the budget, right? The House majority shot them all down. It was worth like $120 million. Well, what did the Senate do? The Senate went back in to buy those votes and basically put almost all that back in. So um, the, the Senate can crow about a good budget, Mike. They, they undercut the House. They destroyed trust. They didn't follow the process, violated the Constitution, in my opinion. Um, they bought off House minority members, made it, you know, so it only took a couple from the House majority to sprinkle some capital money and, and further the bribe. Um, and there you go. Here we are, just like that. That's that's all the ingredients. We just baked a cake. Pretty good one, huh? <laughs> Put some icing on top. <laughs> I don't know how good it is, but uh, there you go. Uh, mess, Mike. It's a mess like nothing I have ever seen. And granted, this is only my sixth year there, but I've never seen like this anything like this. I've talked to legislators and other staffs and bureaucrats that have been around. Matter of fact, one of them has been there for like a very, very long time, decades. Was like, this is the most, and I won't use the colorful language, thing he's ever seen. And he's been there a long time and he's in the house. He's working on the house side, livid yeah, about what happened here. Um, this is just, I mean, you think about the Senate and look at the way they treated the house, the Senate majority, minority, right? They treated three of us like garbage. They treated the house like garbage. I mean, the, the, the list of things here, Mike, is, as you said in the beginning of the Top Gun movie, he's like, kiss my Johnson or something. He's like, list is long, but distinguished. <laughs> I forget the exact quote, something like that, but. Mike, the, the list is long and distinguished here of how the Senate acted and what they did this time. I mean, it's I'm actually embarrassed to be in the body right now, quite frankly. 
um, with, with how they've acted and what they've done. It is just, and how some of them can sit in this, in this majority and go home to their constituents and say, yeah, I'm proud to be in the Senate majority. Seriously? You're, you're proud of your pay raise you gave yourself? Because I guarantee most of the private sector is getting slaughtered. They're not getting that. For the great job you did with all the stuff I just listed off. How do you go home to that, Mike? How do you stare people in the eye and go, yeah, we're doing a great job? I'm. <laughs> oh, it's embarrassed, right? You got to do the walk of shame when you get home. Uh... <laughs> I'm embarrassed to be in the Senate. I really am. I am embarrassed to be in the Alaska State Senate right now. I'm glad I'm not a part of it. I am frankly thrilled that they kicked us to the curb because I, I, I would have had to leave that caucus over how they behaved here with this. Yeah. I, I am frankly, like I said, thrilled that they kicked me to the curb and I can sit back and look at this and go, I have no part in this. I didn't play a role. Matter of fact, I didn't get to be in a committee. Right. So I have no responsibility for this absolute Roger Holland dumpster fire train wreck over the cliff garbage that is going on. And and I know these are very strong words, Mike, but frankly, if you if you look at this and think that any part if this was good, I don't I don't know what to say to you. Yeah. I don't it's know what a, to say to you. Well, it's a total poop parade. We can all agree on that, I think, at this point. Um well look, and I and, and frankly, I mean I have every right to talk this way and be upset, Mike, because of the way I was treated by the Senate majority. Not every one of those members, of course, but you know, certain members. Yeah. I mean to be thrown under the bus the way we were thrown under the bus unreasonably, when we're not the bad actors, when we're not the one. Mike, just last a week and a half ago, right? Because we've been home about a week. A week and a half ago, we had a constituent, not of me, but of the other minority member here in the Valley, who called one of the Senate finance co-chair offices. He was calling several to complain about budgetary things, whatever. And then, you know, part somewhere at that staffer, that senior staffer was talking about myself and Senator Hughes. And that staffer started bad-mouthing us. Oh, well, they're the problem. Nobody likes them. Nobody will work. They're terrible to work with. A week and a half ago, Mike. But yet Shelly Hughes and I are the bad ones. We're the ones that supposedly keep talking about individuals. This has been happening to us for over a year. When do they admit that they're the problem here? It's not us. It is them. We are more than happy to work with people, Mike, but not like this. All right. Not like I will not be part of violating the Constitution and treating the other body this way. This was just beyond the pale, my friend. Mike Shower, two minutes. Uh, final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up for today. I give it to you. Uh, I give it oh, to you. You did a pretty good job already. Of a wrap yeah, up. I mean, I think you've. I think you've done a lot of it. Any final thoughts for people? What they can expect? Uh, we didn't talk about uh, the upcoming potential special session. Whatever you want to say. Now's the time to say it. Well, I mean, we saw how fast the special session went, but that was that was just you know sprinkling out you know thirty eight million dollars and and so be it. I don't know there will be another one unless the governor decides to take a, a strong turn on something here. It's possible, but I did not get the indication that anybody was all that fired up about it. And quite frankly, once the Senate majority got its budget, if you think they're going to come back for a special session and do anything, you're fooling yourself. Um, the governor's not stupid. He knows that. All the leverage is gone. They got their money for this year. They got their budget for this year. So they're not going to do anything. There will be no leverage at this point for a comprehensive fiscal plan. That was the other part of the fifth leg of the triad, if you will, I was talking about. And in addition to all those things I said before, we didn't even move on a comprehensive fiscal plan. All the Senate did was push its 2575, take most of the money for government. Right, because so that's, that's a plan. That's, that's a plan. That's what they said. That's our fiscal plan. Ghostbusters, get her. 
That's your plan. One thing, right? Out of five that's required to make it work. So um, I don't know that there will be a special session. If we call one, it's probably not really going to be effective because there's no leverage without budget pressure on these Senate majority members. So I would say there probably won't be one and we'll come back next January and watch how that circus takes place and the new dynamics of, you know, how the Senate was treating the House. It would be interesting to watch. I mean, I'm probably just going to be a fly on the wall unless some of those Senate majority members intent. You're welcome to join Senator Myers Hughes and myself. We'd love to have a, a bigger minority if you want to get out of that mess. Yeah. But I will tell you this, Mike, last parting thought. I People that I thought I could trust or were more trustworthy that talked a lot to us the last four years while we were in the majority and they were in the minority, um, there ain't many people talking to us now. Yeah. But what I've realized is they just want that seat of power. And as soon as they got that, for the most part, we're being left behind. Exactly. So I'm like, yeah, that's... Okay, it's all about power. It's all about power. Out of time, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. The Michael Duke Show. Be kind, love one another, live well. (laughs) I would make a horrible legislator. I would be horrible because, oh, man, I don't know how you guys do it without actually, you know, full-on face-slapping somebody uh, over some of this stuff. Um, Mike, no, I can't talk about violence, Mike, because you said this years ago, and a particular senator that's back got all upset about it because you said something about punching somebody or something. And I guess I laughed, and boy, they would you would have just thought that I had shot the Pope. You know, I'm like, good Lord, people. I'm like, I didn't mean I agree with them, but sometimes people think say things, and you're offhanded, you know, things just you laugh a little bit or something or whatever. I'm like, it's just the level of eggshells that you have to walk on here with some of these people, Mike, just blows me away of, you know, you can't joke, you can't do this, you can't do that. I don't know, man. It's just, <laughs> just you can't even be a guy and just have fun, you know? So. Yeah, well, it's, uh, <clears throat> I mean, it's one of the benefits of not being a public official is that I could say stuff like that. And, uh, of course, I don't really mean that I'm going to go kick a cat when I say I'm mad enough to kick a cat. But, you know, people just, they don't, they, they can't figure out hyperbole, you know, they just, they can't figure that stuff out. It's not, not in their nature because they don't want to be. I mean, meanwhile, they're raping and pillaging the state and uh, doing whatever they want to do, busting the constitution. But you say something about them to their face uh, or even just in public and they get all butthurt and offended. It's. But isn't that the funny part, Mike, yeah. is that they can do it and have been doing it behind our backs for a very long time. And we're still the bad guy. Yeah, that's the part that drives you nuts. So I say the slightest misstep of anything. I'm just a terrible person, but they can talk about us and stab us behind the back constantly. Hey, nothing to see here. Nothing. It's just fine. Nothing to see here. Move along. Move along. Unbelievable, um, man. Well, this this whole next. I don't think the governor's going to do anything. Quite honestly, uh, I just I don't see him bringing out the veto pen at all, which disappointing to say the least um but yeah i think we're all we're pinning we're pinning all hopes at this point on the next session although if the makeup doesn't change it's ssdd right i mean if the if the majority coalition doesn't change if i mean it's all same stuff different day and uh so we can expect more of the same i guess is what i'm saying coming into this next session so we best gird our loins i guess for the next painful process coming in january and then maybe in november maybe something changes i don't know i i just don't know but like you said i am surprised that nobody else is talking about 
the gutting of the process and the Constitution here, it's it frustrates me. All right, uh, final thoughts, Mike, here before we go. I ain't got none, brother. I've said everything I can say. I don't know what else to say. It's just um, disappointing and uh, disheartening. Can't give up hope, gotta keep fighting, but boy, it is a, I have never witnessed anything like this and never thought I would in my lifetime. And as a veteran, you know, and other veterans I know are seeing the same thing because I've gotten notes from them. I, this bothers me on a, on a core, down to my core for what I'm watching out of this. And so yeah. I guess those are my final thoughts for this week. I, by the way, just so you know, tell the folks, I'll probably take the next week or so off, maybe two, just if you don't mind. So I can just clear my mind of all this for a while. I want to talk today because it's all hey, relevant, but if, or two, I think I need to break from politics. If I've got to suffer, you've got to suffer, okay? That's what I'm saying. Not if I don't answer my phone. That's true. That's true. All right. Well, I guess we'll let you take the next couple weeks off. That's just That's sad, fine. but we'll we'll do it. We'll do it for you. I got to have a break in here somewhere, man. I got to have a little bit. Yeah, you know, so. that's good. All right. Well, like we said, gird your loins, prepare for battle. Get ready for the next round. We got a few months, but oof. Oof is right. That's it. Wait, oof. wait. Isn't this the definition of insanity? I'm just asking for a friend. I mean, I just feel I've got that bloody mark on my forehead where I've been smashing my head against the wall. Uh, yeah, can't just say, I think I got oh, yeah, one yeah. Right you got one right there yourself. Yeah. yeah. That's what you Brick get. Wall. That's what you get for trying to smash that wall down. All right. Well, stay strong, my friend. Um, All right, and keep. Uh, Keep fighting a good fight. That's all we can do. We fight to our last breath, but uh, it's it eventually will be our last breath, unfortunately. All right, uh, Mike Shower, our guest. Thank you, sir, for coming on board. We'll talk to you in a couple, three weeks, okay? A couple, three weeks. I like it. All right, thanks so much. Folks, thanks, we Mike. are out of time. We got more coming up tomorrow. We're going to be doing some firearm stuff and more. It is the Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll see you then. Have a great day. our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show